0: Today we're talking about why we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Basically, why do we believe um, when we say Jesus is the Messiah or the anointed one, the one that was promised and foretold about, who would come, who would be the sacrifice for our sins? Like, do we have any good reason to believe that? Uh, because here's the thing like, if Jesus is, is not who we claim to be, like there's no neutrality. Like, he is either who we claimed to be, he's the savior of the world. He's God who came in the flesh. Um, or we're wasting our time if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. Like, there's no middle ground. Like, he wasn't just a good man and a good teacher. and No, he was a, a, a trickster and deceiver and liar if, if he's not who he claimed to be. And so, if Jesus is the Messiah, then that has really strong implications. Like, that the Bible is true. And we need him as our Lord and Savior. And he said exclusively... He's the only way to the Father. Well, therefore, every other religion is not true. Like I mean, this is, this is a pretty bold claim. So the question is, is there any good reason to believe that Jesus is who we claim to be? And so we're going to look at a few reasons. Why, we, why do we believe? Why can we say with confidence Jesus is who we claim to be, that Jesus is the Messiah? So when Jesus, after his resurrection... He appeared to his disciples, and he's on his way actually to uh, to his disciples, um, and and so on this it's called the road to Emmaus. He's walking on the road to Emmaus with two other followers, and and they don't know that he's there. It's it's like there it's uh, his identity is veiled still. Like they don't know for sure that it's him. And they're talking, they're having this conversation. Well, then their eyes are opened and their hearts opened, and and Jesus is telling them, uh, showing them. He says he starts from. Moses, the Old Testament, and he's showing them that he is who was prophesied, that all of the scriptures are pointing to him, that he did fulfill what the Bible said that the Messiah would fulfill. In another conversation earlier, Jesus is having with us before his death. He's having this conversation with the religious Leaders and he says, You search the scripture and in, in thinking that you're gonna have eternal life, he's like, But the very scriptures that you're reading and teaching and that you know so well, those all point to me, those testify of me. So, why do we believe Jesus is the Messiah? Well, first of all, because of messianic prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. A messianic prophecy is just simply a prophecy in the old testament hundreds of years, in some cases thousands of years earlier, that a prophet prophesied about the Messiah, about the chosen one, the anointed one, uh, of what he would do. And so sometimes maybe we we throw numbers out, like, oh, there's hundreds fulfilled, which there are, but like, let's actually look at some specific ones. Let's be able to dive into some of these, and we're not going to dive super deep because we're going to look at 20 of them, all right? So I got, I told, I told uh, the uh, crowd last night at the service, I said, hey, I got um, three points to my sermon. I said, but under the first point, there's 20 sub points. so, (laughs) So buckle up. But I didn't pull what I pulled two weeks ago and preach for over an hour. I preached for like, 35 minutes. So, anyway, we'll go quick. So, buckle up. Let's go rapid fire through the prophecies, through some specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So, number one, we see this this is a prophecy about his birth, that Jesus would be born of a virgin. This is prophesied by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah prophesied 700 BC. He says that there would be a virgin that's going to be born. You know, a virgin's going to conceive and bear a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. This is prophesied seven hundred years before in Isaiah chapter uh, seven, verse fourteen. So you're going to call his name Emmanuel. A virgin's going to conceive and bear a son. Like this is significant. Now, some just so you know, some of the pushback is: well, the word virgin, alma, in the Hebrew word, it could just be it could just mean young woman. Right? Well, it can, but like I mean, what's the context? Like this is supposed to be this sign. Like, what's significant about a young woman giving birth? Well, that happens every day. There's no significance of that. It's actually significant because it's a miracle. Like, that doesn't happen. But Isaiah said, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. In fact, when Matthew's quoting this in the New Testament, Matthew is quoting it, and he says the same thing. A virgin's going to bear a son, but he, he's actually not using the word Alma. Matthew is using—he's— He's quoting from what's called the Greek Septuagint. The Greek Septuagint is the, uh, the the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, but then it was translated into the Greek language. So when Matthew's writing it, he's actually, he's actually quoting from the Greek Septuagint, which uses uh, the word that, that that Matthew's quoting from has only one meaning perthan meaning virgin that's the only thing that it means so when people try to say oh well christians just kind of try to manipulate the text to make it say what they want and how convenient well actually no that's not the case matthew's quoting from the greek septuagint that wasn't translated by christians that predates before christ was even born right this is this is what um, what the jews translate they 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 viewed this as no isaiah is meaning virgin that, that Jesus would be born of a virgin. That's pretty significant, pretty miraculous. Well, then we see not only how Jesus would be born, but the place he'd be born. We see that Jesus uh, was prophesied he would be born in a specific place, Bethlehem. Well, Mary, Jesus' mother, she didn't live in Bethlehem. Her and Joseph lived in Nazareth. But yet Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This was predicted by, uh, by Micah, the prophet, 500 years earlier. It says, Beth, oh, but thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though they are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you is going to come forth the one who's going to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This is specific saying that Jesus is going to come out of. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph didn't live there. They lived in Nazareth. But long before, long before there was a decree from the Roman emperor, this was prophesied 500 years before where Jesus would be born. Because the Roman uh, emperor, Caesar Augustus, he had had this decree that went out saying that everyone needed to go back to their roots of where where their ancestors were from um, for a census so that they could tax people right imagine the government wanting money (laughs) like well that hey nothing not much has changed but they were going to go back they wanted to make sure everybody is going to get registered so they can get taxes out of them well this is what happened they mary and joseph went from nazareth where to bethlehem because this is what was prophesied jesus would be born in in bethlehem so Not only how he'd be born, but where he'd be born. And then thirdly, we see this, Jesus' sinless life was predicted. Isaiah chapter 53, it says this, that he would be righteous. He had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. See, and this is significant because Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, prophesies about that a suffering servant, Israel... That Israel would be a suffering servant and Israel would suffer for their own sins. But there's also another servant that Isaiah prophesies, a servant who would be righteous and he wouldn't suffer for his own sin. That he would suffer for the sins of his people. And we see that Isaiah 53, such a beautiful messianic chapter that describes in great detail the sinless life of Christ, how he would die and the the agony, the suffering that he would go through and how he would be cut off out of the land of the living. But then, but then his days would be prolonged. It prophesies he's going to rise from the dead. Isaiah prophesies that he wasn't going to suffer for his sin, but for the sins of others. Like we suffer many times because of our own sin or someone sins against us. But a lot of times it's our, it's our own sin. But Jesus didn't suffer for his own sin. He didn't die for his own sin. Because he was righteous. He was without sin. In fact, his closest followers testified of that. We'll look at that here in a few moments. So Jesus' sinless life was predicted. Number four, we see this. It was predicted Jesus would enter into the temple. Malachi prophesied this. Talking about, he's like, I'll send my messenger who's going to prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord... That you seek will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, saith the Lord Almighty. So Malachi prophesies that the Messiah is actually going to enter in to the temple. You know from history, 70 AD, that's an important date. When the second temple was destroyed. So this can't be something that's still going to happen. This is a past event. In fact, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9 makes this really really clear of like a specific time that the Messiah would come. 2 weeks ago we talked about Daniel, when we were talking about biblical prophecy and about how that Daniel um, prophesied about these world rulers and world empires to just I mean great great specificity like of like wow, this is amazing. Like the critics that try to say that that wasn't prophecy They don't even anymore try to say that, well, um, that it's talking about someone else. Because Daniel's really, or talking about other things, it's so clear, the prophecy of Daniel. They just throw out there, well, it was written after it happened. Like, that's just their argument. There's no good reason that they have to believe that. That's just, they have no other argument, though. But Daniel prophesies about all these world rulers, all these kingdoms that are going to rise, and they're going to fall. There's one kingdom, though, that will never end, and that is The messiah the kingdom of christ but daniel is very specific in daniel chapter 9 of the timing of the messiah daniel's very clear that the messiah is going to come the messiah is going to come and he is going to be cut off or he's going to die and then there's going to be the destruction of the temple well daniel's writing there he's in exile the temple's been destroyed But Daniel's going to prophesy, and he's going to predict that there's going to be another temple built. It's going to be restored. The Messiah's going to come, then he's going to be cut off, and then the temple's going to be destroyed again. Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. All these weeks are symbolic and For sake of time, we're not going to dive deep into what all of that means. Um, Eventually, we'll get to the book of Daniel. Go verse by verse through the book of Daniel um, as a church. But he says this, after three score, verse 26, in two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. He's going to die, not for himself, not because of his own sin. And the people of the prince shall come and shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Verse twenty-seven. He talks about how sacrifices are going to cease and stop. So what he's saying is this: Look, though they're in exile, the temple's been destroyed. The city's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be another temple built. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to die. He's going to be cut off. And then the temple's going to be destroyed again. So this is specific timing. I'm saying all of these things are, are, are gonna happen and then the temple's gonna be destroyed. And again, 70 AD, that's an important date. That's when the temple, the second temple, was destroyed. So to our Jewish friends who say, well, the Messiah hasn't come, Jesus wasn't the Messiah, he's still coming. But 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 here's the problem with that. The problem is there's certain things that the Messiah had to do before the temple was destroyed. Yes, the Messiah is coming again. Jesus is coming again. No doubt about that. But there were certain things that had to be fulfilled before the destruction of the temple. Again, I would say this is pretty significant. This is pretty powerful in pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. So we have the prophecy of the temple, the things he would do before the destruction of the second temple. Number six. Number six. Did I tell you I had 20 of them? Did I say that? Okay, well, we got 20 of them. Number six. Jesus would, be, would perform miracles. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6 predicts this. Again, Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus. He says, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf are going to be unstopped. The deaf will be able to hear. The lame will, will leap as the heart or the deer we predicting these, these prophecies that are, are these miracles that are going to take place. What do we know from Jesus' earthly life? He performed miracles to point to his deity to prove he was God. Isaiah prophesied this. Um, in 500 BC, Zechariah, the prophet prophesied that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the donkey in fact we look in the New Testament and it says so the, the prophecy or so that the scriptures would be fulfilled we see that he's riding in to be crucified in Psalm chapter 41 this is a thousand years before Christ was prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend now here's something this is a side note and I know we got a lot I'm not going to take time on each everyone like this one but it's important when we talk about David and some of the messianic prophecies that David talks about. In fact, we're going to look at Psalm 22 in a moment. Psalm 22 is an in depth description of Christ's death on the cross. Some of the pushback is this well, David wasn't a prophet. Why, why do you guys think this is messianic? You know, David's talking about you know, things in his own life. And maybe on some of them you could see where, okay, there's a parallel where we could see. Like, you know, David was betrayed by one of his counselors, Ahithophel, when he was on the run from Absalom. And Ahithophel betrayed him. Okay, okay yeah, maybe you could see some of them. But like in Psalm 22, we're talking about, about the crucifixion. Like, there was nothing in David's life that resembled that. In fact, Jewish um, rabbis, like predating, predate, like this is from hundreds and thousands of years ago... Actually, there's writings of Jewish rabbis that showed that the Jews did, in fact, look at David as a prophet. And if that's something that just, you know, maybe intrigues you, you want more information on, you know, overcoming some of the pushback or objections of of some of the messianic passages. There's two people I recommend. There's probably a lot of other people that have done a really good job of of, of this Um but the two people that I would recommend that I've 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 gotten a lot of resources from and listened to a lot on it, one is a Messianic Jew, Dr. Michael Brown. You've heard me quote him before. Michael Brown's written, I think, a four-volume series on answering Jewish objections to Jesus. And he deals with all the pushback. Because a lot of times atheists and skeptics, like, they don't really like, you know, dive deep into these prophecies. They'll quote like some Jewish rabbis. Um, and try to say all oh, these prophecies weren't really prophecies or whatever right but that's very surface level they usually have one layer of obje- or two level or layers of objections um, and so a lot of times those aren't hard to overcome but like the Jewish rabbis that really dive into these things and try to say no like you Christians are making this up these weren't these weren't prophecies that were fulfilled well Dr. Michael Brown um, has written a four volume series like answering, some of those objections or those pushbacks so that's something that interests you or you just like really want to dive deep into that i would encourage you to look up some of his material um and he's actually debated rabbis all all over the place anybody that'll enter into the arena um and they just don't anymore they won't they refuse to debate him for the most part um which again i think there's a reason for that Uh, but then also pastor mike winger um, has done a lot of extensive stuff like on Psalm 22 and a lot of background of even quoting Jewish sources that said this is indeed a messianic psalm. Um, so again, if that's something that interests you, feel free to uh, look those up. They've got a lot of good content when it comes to that. But, but David's, or the psalmist is saying, look, Jesus is going to be betrayed by a friend. Speaking of being betrayed by a friend, the prophet Zechariah Makes it very specific. Zechariah prophesies and says that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Not 31. Not 29. Not gold. Not bronze. But 30 pieces of silver. And Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. I would say this is pretty specific and pretty significant. Uh, Psalm 40, or sorry, we looked at Psalm 41, number nine, um, Jesus' betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. Number 10, Jesus would be beaten and abused. Isaiah, the prophet, again, 700 years BC. Isaiah says this, he says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. When they pulled out the beard of Jesus, that was the absolute worst insult that you could give to someone on top of that, extremely painful. But Isaiah 700 years prior says, this is what's going to happen to the Messiah, the suffering servant. And we see that is, uh, that is what happened. Number 11, Jesus clothing would be gambled for Psalm twenty-two eighteen 18 says that his garments, um, were ca- they cast lots for his garments. And that is what happened. The Romans gambled on Jesus' clothing. Oh, we see Isaiah 53. He prophesied that Jesus would be hated and rejected, that he'd be uh, despised, rejected of men. He was despised. We esteemed him not. And that is exactly what happened at Jesus' death. He was despised. Oh, sure. He was loved and followed by people for a while when he's performing miracles and, and feeding the crowds. But then at the cross, he was utterly despised he was rejected he was rejected by his own people the jews Uh, we see number next we'll go quickly number 13 jesus wouldn't open his mouth to defend himself isaiah 53 7 talks about how he was oppressed and he was afflicted but he didn't open his mouth he didn't retaliate he didn't fight back he didn't fight back he said he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and that's what we see at his crucifixion He wouldn't defend himself. Psalm 22, I mentioned this, but Psalm 22, verse 16, talks about his crucifixion in detail. He says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, here's what's significant about this. This was written about a thousand BC. Talking about the death, Jesus would die. Talking about crucifixion. This method of death wasn't invented yet. It would be hundreds of years later, the Persians would invent the crucifixion where they would impel people, put them up on a pole or a cross. The Romans would then take that in later and and perfect it to make it the most excruciating way that they could make someone suffer. But yet a thousand years prior, it's predicted how Jesus would die, that they would pierce his hands and his feet. We see Jesus crucifixion, then we see Jesus would die with sinners. Isaiah 53, 12 talks about that he would be numbered with the transgressions. And we see Jesus was crucified next to two criminals, people who deserved to die. And yet that's what was was predicted. Psalm 34 talks about Jesus' bones would not be broken. This goes back even to further than that in Exodus about the Passover lamb that they would sacrifice, that none of its bones could be broken. They had to offer the best, not the sick, the weakly, the animals uh, that were, were maimed, that their bones couldn't be broken. And we see Christ's death on the cross, that none of his bones would be broken. Well, what's significant about that? Because the Romans would break their bones. They would sometimes hang on the cross for days and days. And so the Romans would break their legs to keep them from being able to push up, to be able to to get another breath. They would make it go quicker after they suffered suffered for excruciating pain and just get it over with so we can get them down from the cross. But why didn't they with Jesus? Why didn't they break his bones? To make sure he was dead, the Roman soldier threw a, a spear through his side. Why didn't they break the bones? See, this is something that it's a, it's an honest question that must be answered. Like how how did Jesus fulfill all of these things? Right? Like sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, all these people, you know, thousands of people are born in Bethlehem. A lot of people rode a donkey into Jerusalem. It's like, yeah, you guys are missing the point, right? Okay. There's like two that maybe somebody could fulfill, but we're talking about things like things like how someone's going to die. And them coming back to life from the dead. When you put all of these things together. All of these messianic prophecies together. I would say it's rather compelling. That Jesus is who he claimed to be. Not a bone was broken. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus' death. In Isaiah 53.8 it says that he'd be cut off from the land of the living. He would die. And then in verse 9. That Jesus would be buried with the rich. He'd be buried with the rich in his death. Well, how was that fulfilled? After Jesus' death, there was a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea that petitioned to have his body and he placed him in a tomb. This is significant. This is, I think, rather compelling. Not only Jesus' burial, but then Jesus' resurrection. Isaiah says that he will be this this guilt offering. His soul will be an offering, but yes, he's going to be cut off. He's going to die, but he shall see a seed. He shall prolong his days. Isaiah is predicting, prophesying about an empty tomb that yes, he's going to be cut off. It looks like he's going to fail in his mission, but his days are going to be prolonged. And Jesus will rise from the dead. Jesus will defeat death. We're going to talk about that on Resurrection Sunday on April 4th. About why we believe the resurrection. Why we believe Jesus rose from the dead. Well, here's a little spoiler alert. Here's one reason. It was prophesied. It was prophesied hundreds of years before that Jesus would defeat death. Psalms prophesied that he would ascend into heaven after his death. Last one. Number 20. 1000 B.C. The psalmist David said, When you ascend up on high, when you're going to ascend, you're going to lead captive, captivity captive. He's talking about Jesus' ascension to heaven. And Jesus is in heaven, and he is at the right hand of the Father and rules and reigns over all. And he truly is who he claimed to be. That he is the Messiah, he is the Savior overall. Why do we believe that? Well, we looked at 20, I think, pretty compelling reasons. Because he was prophesied that he would do these things. He prophesied, it was prophesied thousands of years before where he would be born. The life that he would live, the sinless life that he would live. And and how he would die, specifically that he would die by crucifixion. His hands and his feet would be pierced. And then he would be placed in a tomb that he would be buried with the rich. And then he would rise again from the dead and that he would ascend to heaven and rule and reign over all. And we see that Jesus did indeed fulfill these prophecies. Why do we believe Jesus is the Messiah? Well, because of the prophecies that, we, that, that, told, that talked about what he would do and how he would do it were accomplished. But secondly, why do we believe he's the Messiah? Because of the perfect life that he lived. Proving that he was God because no man No man can claim to be without sin, to be perfect because we're human, right? We fall short. Like again, hopefully we have a good testimony and with unbelievers and hopefully that we, you know, try to try to live a life. That's, that's a good example, but, but I promise you, we're going to fall short. The more you get to know me, the more you're going to realize like, Hey, yeah, there's not, not too much special about him, right? He's got flaws. He's being sanctified. He's growing, you know, but, but I have flaws and I'm, I'm not perfect. Why? Because I'm, I'm a man. I'm a man. You know, like the side streets in Davenport, how they're just like really, really bad right now. And like, but even when they're not bad, like when cars are parked on them and you like you sometimes can only fit one car. So if a car's coming the other way, it's like, you know, you, you gotta take turns. And sometimes it's awkward if you're kind of coming at the same time. Well, like, you know, whoever's on the side with the car park usually lets the other one go. You know, just courtesy, right? Like the unwritten rule. You're just courteous well they're already coming i'll let them go and then i'll go and usually usually i'll always let that other person go but i didn't on friday i was in a hurry and so i'm come, we're coming at the same time and what do i do i got my my big uh big suburban i'm like man i'm bigger i'm going through i know they're going to stop and let me go so i go through out of turn, I go through, I'm in a rush, and then I wave like, hey, thanks. And like, oh, that was a church member. <laughs> it was a church member. It was, it was actually Millie, and she's not here today. She's probably angry at me. I called her after and apologized. But all that being said, you know what? Yeah, we try to live a righteous, good life and have a good testimony. Hopefully, we see that we're being sanctified by God's grace, and we see that there's a change. Hopefully, we're loving Jesus more and more each day. Right? If we're not, like it's a question, have we truly experienced salvation? If we have no desire for righteousness and we're not growing, we're not being sanctified, sure, we're being sanctified, but you know what? We're not without sin. The people closest to us know that the best, right? Like our family, our our close friends, we'd say, hey, are are they without sin? Are they perfect? Oh, no, absolutely not. Why? Because they're with us and they see our, our faults, they see our flaws. Yet, you know what Jesus' closest people to him said? They said he was righteous. Peter. Peter, at the end of his life, is writing. And Peter has suffered greatly, and he's going to actually become a martyr and die for Jesus. There's actually really, really good first century evidence that that tells us Peter did die a martyr's death. But Peter's writing towards the end of his life. And he's talking about Christians who are suffering, and then hey, you know you're suffering, but 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 don't retaliate and revile back. Know that Jesus also suffered, and he says this that Jesus gave us this example we should follow in his steps. And Jesus did no sin. He said there was no deceit, no guile was found in his mouth. This is one of Jesus' closest followers. Now, now look, if, if Peter was making this up, he had nothing to gain. Like if people say, oh, well, they just lied. They made it up. You know, just this legend and the story just got embellished more and more. Well, but his followers suffered greatly for that. So if they were lying, they would be lying to put themselves in danger. We don't lie to put ourselves in danger. We lie to get ourselves out of trouble. We lie to get ourselves out of a mess or to try to gain something from someone to manipulate, right? That we shouldn't, but that's just our, our human nature. But if the disciples were lying, they would have been lying, putting themselves in great danger and ultimately dying a martyr's death for something that he knew that would have been a lie. Peter's closest follower said, look, there was no, no deceit, no sin was found in him. Why do we believe Jesus is the Messiah? Well, because of all the prophecies he fulfilled, all the messianic prophecies that were fulfilled. But because, secondly, he lived a perfect life. He lived a righteous life. No man could make that claim. And then, thirdly, Jesus. Why do we believe Jesus is the Messiah? Because of his powerful miracles. See, yes, he claimed to be God. But he proved it through his miracles that only God could do. And that's what you see, like this, how they just escalate and build and he turned water, water into wine at the wedding. And, you know, some of these, like, well, maybe he manipulated it. And it was just like the sleight of hand and, and a trick of the eye and deceive people. But, yeah, but then, like, you look at when he, like, commanded the winds and the waves to obey him in front of many witnesses. When, when he multiplied the, the loaves of bread and the fishes in front of thousands of people. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead raised several people from the dead. But when, he, when it escalated to a point where he raised Lazarus from the dead, John, the gospel writer, said many of the Jews believed him. It's like, of course, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. And then the, the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, knew they had to stop him. They said this, otherwise all men are going to follow him. But Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then Jesus went to the cross And he himself, by his power, raised from the dead. Pastor Caleb preached on the Trinity last week and talked about the harmony and unity in the Trinity. And and yes, there's some specific roles in the Trinity. And yet you also see a harmony and unity in them as well. Where we see that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead. And Jesus himself, he said, by his own power, he would raise from the dead. Proving through his miracles, he proved his deity. Proved he was who he claimed to be. And we can rest assured Jesus is the Messiah. We can believe it with great confidence. But look, as I said at the beginning, there's no neutrality with Jesus. If Jesus is God and who he claimed to be, he says he is the only way. He's the only way to salvation. The only way to the Father. The only way for us to have peace with a holy and a righteous God is through faith in the Messiah, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, trust him today. Put your faith in him. Put your confidence in him. Look, for those of us who know Jesus and are his followers, you know what we've experienced? We've experienced the great miracle of the Holy Spirit raising a dead sinner to life. We have experienced that new life in Jesus Christ. And... And again, like I, I know, everybody or anybody can claim to have a radical change, and that, and that's why. I didn't start with that and wouldn't even advise like that's the only reason that, you know, we tell people we believe in God because what he's done in our life. Like, look, a lot of people have had, you know, life changing experiences and they they're following false religions. But what I'm saying is this. Yes, it is real to us. It's not just all this head knowledge and facts of being able to argue about the resurrection or be able to argue about that these messianic prophecies we're talking about. We've experienced that life change in Christ. And if you haven't experienced that. Turn to Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're counting upon just religious activity or works or maybe a little prayer that you said you know years and years ago and you really didn't, didn't understand like what it really meant to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trust in him today. Put your faith in him, because Jesus is who He claimed to be. He is our Savior, our Messiah. He is the Lord of all. And He came. To die for our sins he was the propitiation or the payment for our sins in a moment here i'm going to pray and after i pray we're going to pass the communion or the lord's supper and we invite you today if you are a believer in jesus christ you're a follower of christ to partake in this communion partake in this lord's supper what this is is it's symbolic it's showing it's showing it's really our remembrance. Our remembrance that we are reflecting back and looking at, the, at, at, at the, the, the death that Jesus died for us. That his blood was shed for us. And Jesus said, look, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And this is a time where we reflect and we remember Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. So in a minute when I pray, I would encourage you, if you're a believer and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. To, to spend a moment in prayer. Of just making sure your heart is prepared. See, it talks about you know, not eating or drinking unworthily. And ultimately, look, none of us are worthy apart from, from our faith in Jesus Christ and his sinless life. But it gives indication of making sure that, like, that our heart is right with God. And so I would encourage you in just a moment here, I'm going to pray. And, and, and if there's something maybe God's speaking to you about, if you're a believer... God's speaking to you about, and, and, and maybe just even, um, you know, some known sin in your life that you just need to confess to God and just be open and honest. Like, he already knows, but maybe you just need to be open and honest with him. Maybe it's somebody God's speaking to you about that you need to forgive. Whatever it is that God's going to speak to you about, please spend some time in prayer to him. If you're here, you're not a believer. We're really glad that you're here, but we ask you don't partake, and that's okay. Like, again, we just want to be open and honest and upfront. This is something as a church that we do for Uh, for believers. But if you're here and you're not a believer, we would love to talk with you more today. Maybe God's speaking to you even right now. Maybe you're here, you're tuning in online and you can't physically partake in communion with us today, but maybe God's speaking to you and you're you're not a follower of Jesus. You don't know him as your savior. And maybe right now as we speak, God is just, he's, he's drawing you to himself. And I would, I would just, I would compel you, beg, beg of you, plead with you, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Call upon him as your Lord and Savior. And if you are a believer, may we be forever grateful. May we be forever grateful of Christ's sacrifice for us.